0: Good evening, everyone. Good evening, Greg. Thank you so much for joining us on Wolfie's
1: Talks. Thank you, Wolfie. Thanks for having me on the show. Yes.
0: Um, I think we have now a few people on the show and I can tell you when when we announced that we're going to have you on the show, I haven't seen people in our shop dancing and jumping up and down the whole South African crew. The Brits, Dan, Josh, everyone. But well, they were so excited, and I got some messages from them. And said, "Listen, you Norman, know, this guy is an absolute legend, and and he is the greatest, and he's been around forever, and it, it's just unbelievable." So you're such a popular popular rider, and I I really enjoy obviously researching all the people when we when we start talking talking about them, and and it, it's really actually quite exciting. And I just want to point out a few things, and and it's. I think so far the longest list of victories and successes we had uh, and I'll just mention a few because otherwise the hour would be over. Uh, you have been turned pro in 1999 and racing successfully, winning two Norbert championships, three times world champion with UCI, three times overall champion uh, in with UCI, you were the first African to receive UCI medals for cycling, in total you got it to 10 medals 21 World Cup victories and over 78 podiums. This is just an unbelievable career. So uh, you're an expert
1: <laughs> in the sport. Thank you. Yeah. To be honest, when you're going you, while you're saying them, I was just uh, I was thinking, wow, I have been around a long time, and it doesn't feel that way. It really doesn't feel that way. We want to show
0: a first clip that people really understand what are you doing and that's from 2017 and we watched the clip and then you maybe can can show us uh, we tried this the first time so I hope it works so will now it's your chance to shine Oh my God, this is unbelievable. How is this when you watch <laughs> these things? Can you realize, can you remember all the pedal strokes? Can you remember all the corners? Or how, how much do you really remember of, of a run like that?
1: I remember a lot about that race. So I had about 10 or 12 of my, of my good friends flying from South Africa to come and watch. Um, so there was a lot of pressure for me to perform and do well. And I'm sitting in the start hut watching my teammate go off. He qualified second, so he goes off second to last. He goes off in front of me and it's starting to rain. And I watch him go down the track and he hits this bridge and it's all wet and he just crashes and goes off track. And I'm just thinking, wow, this is bad luck. You know, I've had a great qualifier, won the qualifier, and now I'm starting last in the final and it's raining. So out the gate, I just went pretty hard. Was pretty cautious over the section where my teammate crashed and uh, now the rain's coming to my face. So we've got like on my earthly goggles, I've got these tear offs. You know, it's like a laminated. Yes. Piece of film, and so I knew I had to sit down and take a tear off before I go into that really tricky wood just to make sure I could see which line or which route to take. And so I got down midway, had to pull a tear off because I couldn't see, and uh, knew I'd lost some time. But I was so tired from working really hard up top, knowing that it was wet and I had to be a little bit cautious up top. so um, I was really spent by the midway and it was quite a struggle getting down to that line. You know, you're trying to put in every pedal stroke. And then actually in the last section where I'm normally really strong, I lost probably half a second, but uh, it was a great race. I mean, that's, that's got to be one of my um, all-time favorite winning races. So th- that's definitely up there.
0: Unbelievable,
1: unbelievable.
0: Um, I want to start a bit earlier. So your career started on your first birthday when, when your parents, Jackie and Jeff, got your 50cc motorbike and you became immediately one of the kings of the Royal Natal show in Pittsburgh and you were jumping over cars, uh, obviously not yeah. four years old but a little later, so how was this to be, to be, that must be a, like a big carnival uh, coming to town and then you were the guy uh, jumping over these, how many cars did you jump over?
1: Well, it was a good way to get out of school at the time, Okay, but um, I, I grew up racing motocross, I started racing motocross at four and uh, I think I was 12 and, and we decided uh, we had to all group up together to have like a, a school fete, a, a school fair and we had to do our little stores and, and we did, me and my friends decided well we'll ask my dad to build a, a jump and we'll jump cars for like charity and then we'll give the money to charity and uh, that all went really well and uh, all of a sudden I got this call from, uh, from the Royal Show which is this big show that comes into town and the show came in and... Uh, Asked me to do it. So, yeah, I, was, I thought it was really cool. I was 12 at the time. So, we, it wasn't at the Royal Show where I got up to 16 cars, but um, that, that was probably the, the highlight of, of my jumping car career on motorbikes.
0: Wow. Well, 16 cars lined up and you jump over. That, that's unbelievable.
1: Yeah. Well, it, it didn't seem too bad at the time. And, uh, but uh, it's uh, probably a little more risky than I realized. At the time, I felt comfortable and didn't bother me. I still was right.
0: And how's it? With, was it your father, Jeff, who was agreeing with the with the bike, or is it your mom, Jackie? She wasn't. She was against it, or how was that in the household <laughs> when when Dad gave you the present, uh, like a fifty cc motorbike?
1: I think you. Know, I think it was more me. You know, my dad had taken me out to this park and um, he had paid probably two rand or whatever it was for me to to ride this motorbike, and I had to sit in the back, and so the kid had to ride the motorbike and. I was just like, That's not really good fun, you know uh, can we maybe can I try to ride the bike and oh, not allowed would wasn't allowed, and eventually, I got convinced the guys that I could do a lap, so my dad was walking behind me, holding this little bike, and I uh, eventually managed to accelerate away from him, and he couldn't keep up so um that's where it all started. My mom's never really been into um the extreme side; she's very conservative, so. Riding motocross, she supported it but never came and watched. Mm. And like with downhill, when I race cross country, she should come and watch. When I race downhill, I'd, I'd either crash in front of her or something would happen in front of her. So she decided not to come to that oh. either. So um, that's just uh, my mom. So she, she watches under the covers, you know, she has a blanket over her face watching. She's, not a, <laughs> very good. she's a bit nervous.
0: But motorbike and motocross
1: is still something really close to
0: your heart. So did the roof over Africa, or the roof of Africa, that was like a grueling enduro race. Can you tell us about this race?
1: Yes. Yeah, so, uh, you know, growing up in, on motorbikes, I always felt like uh, I'd like to do one of these, these popular races. You know, South Africa is really well known for uh, like you have the Comrades Marathon, you have the Doozy Canoe Marathon, you have all these different one day events. And, and one of the big ones is the, the roof of Africa. And uh, so I thought, well, you know, I've got like a month to train. When I finish my World Cup season, I can go into a month of training and get ready for the roof. And uh, the year before, I had a shoulder surgery. So I went and watched and it kind of got a bit excited and the bug kind of got to me. I thought, well, this is my chance. Let me do it the following year. So I did. I trained for a month and went out and, and did the roof. It, it was a great experience. I loved it.
0: Fantastic. Fantastic.
1: So, when you were a little boy and
0: you started as well, I think cross country racing and then downhill racing, um, and you were training or racing, who was the rider in your head? I, I think little Greg was riding his bike and you were thinking you, you pretend to be whom. Who was the rider who was your inspiration?
1: So, when I was a kid, I was still really into motorbikes. So, uh, I remember being six, seven years old, motocross was my thing, but I used to love riding around the garden on my BMX. And the guys I used to look up to all motocross riders, like so South Af, great South African rider Greg Albertine was was one of my heroes growing up. Um, slowly, as I moved over to mountain biking, there was the guys like Nicholas Villio Steve Peat, and and all of them.
0: Fantastic. Did you meet uh, any one of these people? Then obviously you, you were riding with Steve Peat, but the motocross people, did you ever meet them and tell them that this was your inspiration for your amazing career?
1: No, I haven't. But uh, the good thing now on Instagram is I can follow him and that, that feels pretty good. Very good. Yeah, very good. Fantastic.
0: Your sister, Bridget, was very successful as well in uh, downhill, downhill mountain biking. How long was she
1: faster than you? She was faster than me for quite a while yeah um and she was actually the one that got me into racing i was um uh i i'm I'm not really into watching sport uh you know if it's if it's maybe a rugby game in the afternoon there's always and that's more the reason to hang around and watch rugby and maybe have a drink and and a barbecue or bra. but um if i if i go somewhere and watch it i just get really anxious and i I just feel like I should either be on the field or be on the track. I mean, I hate watching Formula One live because I feel like I want to get in the car and drive. So my sister was racing mountain bikes and I was racing motocross. So the weekends I wasn't racing motocross, I used to have to go watch her race mountain bikes. And then I'd be there with my BMX hanging out in the pits. And I'd be like, you know, I'm just going to ride instead. So I entered my first race on a BMX um, just because I hate watching sport. Very cool.
0: Very cool. Who do you think was your biggest inspiration to start a sport? Was your dad as well into mountain bike racing or how, how did this all come
1: along? I, my dad had to be a big, big inspiration. I mean, I, I grew up looking at a lot of images of him racing motocross. And so I think that was the nat- natural transition into to two wheels was following my father's footsteps. So it wasn't at all that he pushed me into it. I, I think he got me a BMX and that was the first bike I got. And, uh, Somehow I just found this love for motorbikes and then my parents bought a bicycle shop when I was racing uh, motocross and that kind of um, threw things quite a bit. And at the time, not really good. You know, I was, I was quite serious about motocross, but now my parents were spending the weekends um, in the bike shop and I couldn't be training or practicing motocross. So my results started to slide a bit and that's when my sister was racing motorbikes and I was giving that a go and I started to to feel pretty good in mountain biking. And that's where I started to fall in love with, with, with mountain biking. Mm-hmm. But then you went
0: to Europe to start racing. Because obviously mountain biking downhill was was way more popular, I think, at the time in Europe. And it was just a much bigger sport. Um, when, how was the first time you went overseas to Europe?
1: The first time I went overseas was in 1997. I went over to Day in, in Switzerland to race in the World Champs. And my my overall trip was really good. Race results, I qualified quite good and had this massive crash in the final. But that was the decision I had made. I'd come home from that and I was 15 at the time. And I said to my parents, you know, I really need to leave South Africa and go and race in Europe. And I think this mountain bike thing, uh, I can maybe do all right. I just need to learn how to race on these European tracks. Um, So that was my first experience of Europe. But... My, f- my true experience of Europe was the following year, and that was tough. You know, when you're going over with a team and you've got all your friends around you, that's that's easy. That's just the holiday. But when you've got to go and live in a new country and, and you've got no friends or family with you, then, then, it's, then it's tough, you know. Um, the cuisine is suddenly a bit harder. Um, you just want to speak English. I mean, back then, we couldn't do video call like we do now, we had no WhatsApp or Skype. So it was a lot harder back then. Mm-hmm.
0: And and but I think family is is very important. I, I saw some of the video clips, and and you you always feel obviously coming home, uh, South Africa, Pitz coming home to your family. When you come home, what what is your mama cooking for you? What's what's the main thing uh, you you ask her to do?
1: Oh, she's got a great spaghetti bolognese. Um, mm-hmm. That that's one of the first. But uh, yeah, it's I still I still see a lot of my family. Um, Unfortunately, my nephews live an hour away, but my nieces are pretty close, so they, they're always around.
0: Very nice. Yeah, and I, I see they are big fans of yours. They follow you and they, they watch you on TV, and, and I know that, that's
1: great. I, th- I think I'm like that uh, naughty uncle when they always get spoiled. You know, mom says <laughs> you can't have chocolate, and you're at my house, you get chocolate.
0: You get everything you want. That's good. That's good. That's pretty what much. uncles are for. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Exactly. Yeah, so it's a, it's a good scapegoat for them.
0: Yes. Um. I asked the team to, to send me some questions and, and one of the guys who was really excited is Stan and he said, um, you're one of the people who had a lot of setbacks during his career, so some injuries and things, but he said, this guy is unstoppable. So I just want to speak a bit about racing. Um, and do you think that your success is mainly talent or is it really your hard work, the practice, the attention to details and everything like this? Well, what do you think is the key of having such a long career?
1: Um, I would say I'm pretty competitive. Very competitive, actually. Um, that's a part of it. So regardless if it's an injury, I see it more as a, something coming up against me and I feel I need to um, get on top of it. So I've always treated injuries that way and maybe that's how I've recovered. Uh, I'm not quite sure what it is. That's is. Uh, I'm sure there's a bit of talent in there. But I also feel uh, I'm not very confident. So I'm not a very confident rider either. And I feel like when I'm on track, I maybe pay a little bit more attention to detail and, and trying to squeeze a little bit more out of my bike and out of the track than others, just because I feel like I'm not as quick as the others. So, um, although it's uh, possibly not the best thing to not be confident, it, it also makes you tick every box and, and make sure everything is running smooth. So, I find, like, I find that's probably one of my strengths.
0: Mm-hmm. I think humbleness is for sure something to to keep strength. I think if somebody, a lot of times you see people getting a little bit too cocky, and then and then they are risking things or not preparing well. So um, I, I think it's for sure one of if I would say one of the strengths if you can prepare. And is your personality changing when you when you feel like you get into this race mode? You put the helmet on, and is there a certain ritual which you do before your race, and and that just changes the the Greg Minard to the Greg Minard we see now and on. Talking to you right now, you are fairly laid back. And then when you're in racing mode, what's what's changing?
1: Uh, I get pretty serious into a race. Um, I feel like a lot of pressure, and there's a lot of panic going on. Um, probably, probably more panic going inside my head, making sure. Uh, and that's probably downhill racing. It's a tough sport. You know, it's not like we're all starting on the same start line. And I can see my competitors in front of me, and I can just dig a little deeper to try and catch them. Uh, you know, we've got two days of training and qualifying and I absolutely have no idea where my competitor is, or who my competitor is or what line they are on track. So you have to be 110% on each part of your, of your routine or race. So that makes it kind of difficult and makes it pretty stressful. So I think a uh, helmet it on it's pretty tense and I feel it's, it's like this mad hamster wheel just going, and everything's just, it, it's, it's, it's manic. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I'm a little bit more relaxed off the bike, but also I think in in the race scenario, I think it, once that race or the first day of practice starts, I'm, I'm I think I, I get zoned into to race mode. And who do you think was your
0: biggest competitor or the biggest nemesis in in terms of motivation? And do you needed this motivation, or you had enough intrinsic motivation to be training every day and and preparing yourself? Or was it important that you had somebody to aim for and and somebody you felt was challenging you
1: um, i 've always had a, a pretty good work ethic towards training, and I feel like being a professional rider half out you know the, the mindset i 've always maintained is, is we get paid to train and then racing's what we do for fun because it is what we do for fun we 're competitive people, so we want to challenge ourselves and and so i 've maintained that through my uh, off seasons of training. Um, so uh, yeah i, I don't think i've struggled on, on that way but it's definitely uh, as i get older it, it's tough to to keep going out in those same training routes and uh, I, i'm having to mix things up a bit mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. you use other sports to to keep fit i know you like surfing golf uh, you do a bit of running was well, golf a sport not really. Yeah, yeah. I, I thought I'd say it. Maybe for your flexibility, for your core strength, maybe a little bit in walking. Yeah.
1: Are uh, we trying? We trying to use it as some kind of excuse. But no, I think it's important to try and fit in all these different sports into it. I still ride motocross once a week, and I think that's really important mm-hmm. for my strength and, and keeping my on for speed. Um, I try and surf as much as I can, normally once or twice a week, and and that's just more relax, you know, relaxation and and just getting your mind off things. You know, we have a an, an incredible animal uh, which is really big shark uh, mm-hmm. that, that lurks our waters so it, it keeps your mind of everything and uh, when you're not looking for a wave you're looking around you to see what's floating oh, <laughs> and uh you know golf is also just a, a thing that i'll try and fit in I, I wish i was just better at golf i'm just really not that good um and I, then then it's the usual I, I run quite a bit uh road cycle mountain bike and gym that's those are the main four Uh, components uh, components to my training do you
0: feel the surfing has helped you kind of for the balance and for the flow on the bike as well
1: no it's probably hindered me just because it knocks my confidence as much as it does it's it's one of those things where i feel like i'm almost like a professional when i roll in i've got like um, really nice surfboards and really nice equipment and i'm Probably the most terrible surfer in the water, but that's like my absolute dream and passion. So, you know, it's when I go for a ride and, you know, I'll be on my amazing mega tower, Santa Cruz mega tower, and I'll come back and I'll just hang it up or, you know, whatever. When I go surfing, I come back and I wash my boards and I like clean them up and polish them and put them back in the shelf and they've got specific places so they don't get damaged with. I just come back from a ride and just lean the bike up and go.
0: I heard that you should start every one or two years, you should start a new sport to humble yourself. Because sometimes obviously when you're, when you're the world champion in a sport and then you, you kind of set yourself back and you understand, yes, you're really good in one thing, but uh, maybe there's other things out there and there's other champions. So I think it's it's a good thing to try something new. And I think to keep your, as you said, to mix things up and stay fresh, it's, it's a good idea.
1: Yeah, that, that's a, I think that's a good approach. I mean, I wouldn't want to try something as hard as surfing every two years, you know. Um, just being at it for at least 10 to 12 years has been yes. hard enough. Never mind. I'm trying after do.
0: I want to, maybe when you go before the race and you have a certain ritual, you listen to music, what kind of music and what kind of ritual you're going through uh, before the race?
1: Yeah. So uh, this, you, you come up with rituals all the time just to try and force yourself to be confident that things are all going your way. Um, whether it's, my, my usual ones normally come out. I've got um, quite a few different pairs of O'Neill gloves that I use mm-hmm. and uh, Oakley goggles. So I always set aside my race gloves and goggles. And mm-hmm. so those ones I'll only use in the race. And uh, that's as far as my rituals go. Mm-hmm. Routine. I uh, head up to the top of the hill and we warm up for 45 minutes before the race. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just have music, just some chill music. Also, um, a lot of people try and talk to you while you, you try to focus. So headphones do help with, um, letting people know that they will not you won't be able to hear them and that you're busy. So, uh, headphones are on and, and just focusing on the tracking and going through every little piece and, uh, very detailed, um, run. I mean, that, that's probably one of the hardest things is is just r- repeating, the visualization of the track run mm-hmm. after run after run making sure that you you exactly where you 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 know exactly where you want to be
0: and the courses are every year kind of the same or there's a lot of changes you you don't know if you go to fort william or whatever and there's quite a big change or it's just the change nature brings uh, with it when when the, the nature just changes the course
1: well nature does change a course um it, it does and even if we go to the exactly the same track um where the 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 courses tape makes quite a big difference to the line. So, Mm -hmm. we might have been running a certain line on the inside, and now we have to change to the outside because the tape is is too tight or or something. So, although you might know the lay of the land, uh, the track definitely does change uh, race to race or or year to year.
0: Very good. the boys in the shop were speaking a lot about the Honda team. Uh, this was the team yeah. had before you were the part of the syndicate. Um, and obviously that whole story about the Honda bike and the gearbox and everything, I think there was just kind of something very, very special. And everybody wanted to know what's in that gearbox and so on. So how was this when they approached you to ride for Honda? And did, you get, did you get as well a motorbike?
1: I did get a motorbike, yeah. Um, it, the, the Honda thing was great. It, it was... Um, it was an opportunity to learn and understand how such a, a great company has crafted some of the best machinery in the world. I mean, they've got great cars, they've got great motorcycles, um, you know, as their Formula One team, their, their MotoGP team, their motocross team. It's, it's a very, um, very like unique and, and great company. So as soon as they were making a bike and with the gearbox, I thought there was, this was a great opportunity for me to learn something new, mm-hmm. understand how they work and try and work with them to make a bike out of what they had. I mean, the first test ride I had on the bike wasn't great, but I knew that I had a bit more knowledge about the geometries that we use. And they had some knowledge into certain characteristics of the bike that they want to see handle in the mountain bike. And together we came up with a, a really good race bike. So um, that experience was, was great. I, I really enjoyed my time there. Mm-hmm.
0: I see that you have lots of your uh, older bikes in the shop uh, as a little display there. And, and what, what's the bike where you have the, the greatest attachment and the best memories
1: uh, with? I would say there's two bikes and one was definitely the Honda and the other is my 2008 Santa Cruz Dino bike. It was my first year going over to Santa Cruz and there was just something about the bike. I had a great World Cup season. And uh, there was just something about that bike. The paint job was incredible, mm-hmm. very detailed. And yeah, I really, I really liked the bike.
0: Very good. And, and looking back, so now you're in year 2020 and, and what would you tell Greg 1999? Uh, what, what tip would you give him? Um, now you know all these things and it's more than 20 years later.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, I panicked a lot and, and tried to rush things through my 20s. And I think that's why they flew by so quickly. Uh, you know, I'm, if something needs to be done, I, I try and do it right away. And I try and do more. And, and you know, you just have to relax and, and things will work out. It's um, I, I wasn't quite sure. I, I remember trying to build up into business and, and everything else through my later 20s, trying to, you know, who knows, you're supposed to finish racing when you're 30. And uh, so there's this mad rush to make sure I was ready to, uh, finish racing and be able to take the next part of my chapter um, into whatever it was and, and that was a mad rush and you're know, looking back I probably should have just kept racing and focused on racing and I was enjoying it and uh, I wasn't doing too bad so you know 10 years later and I'm still racing it's it's kind of crazy so I think I think rushing was definitely one of the things that I would tell myself to slow down on. Very
0: okay. good. Very good, fantastic. Then you joined
1: Santa Cruz and
0: the syndicate team, and I think obviously that was kind of a dream team with uh, Steve Peat, Nathan Rennie, Jason Brice,land. That, that was just an unbelievable force of in, in the sport. So how was this when you joined that that crew?
1: So I'd be racing quite a bit on, and I, I felt like this team was kind of refreshing in a way. Mm-hmm. They, they had a different approach. They had Kathy Sessler as a team manager, and Rob Roskop was the founder of Santa Cruz and ran this team in a way, and he had a great understanding. He was a professional skateboarder, so he understood what it took to be a, a pro athlete and he was very understanding. And I think um, that created a really good environment and a great environment for us to excel at what we do, but have fun at the same time. You know, you're traveling the world, you're going to see all these different places. Um, now was a good time to have fun and, and enjoy the travel and then race well. and And that's exactly what we did. It was this almost play hard, race hard, mentality and and to me that that was a good home
0: very fantastic there's like now 13 people or around 13 people in the team and you have two young riders who are like i think it's almost 15 years uh between the, you and and how much you can you can tell them about racing and how much did you learn from them how the young generation is racing so how much mentorship is going uh, for them back with with, with all
1: of you Yeah, there's a lot. And I think that's why the syndicate is so successful. You know, the riders do talk amongst each other. You know, it's a unique sport You're racing against the clock. You're not really racing against other athletes. You know, if I can help my teammates go a bit quicker, or if they could help me, we could all be quicker on the race day. You know, Mm -hmm. you, you can follow someone and learn every single line, but if you can't put it together on the race day, it's, it's another thing. So uh, we've always worked well together. Um, I've definitely learned a lot from them. You know, I come from an area where the bikes were set up really slow rebound suspension and mm-hmm. and it was completely different. They come from this area where it's really fast rebounding. So I've had to adjust my style um, to adapt with them with them at modern times. And, you know, I, I throw my experience across to them when I can. Uh, it's, it's always hard and tricky at times, but uh, we do. And uh, I, I definitely do feel like I gain a lot from them. Very good.
0: Yeah. I, I can imagine that's the young, I, I can see this in our business. That's absolutely the young generation brings a completely different story to the table. And I, I really enjoy this exchange with, With we have two or three generations in the business, which is really nice. Yeah. Fantastic. Um, what do you think the teammates would say about you when they have to describe uh, Greg in in the syndicate?
1: Oh, I don't know. I'm not too sure. It's uh you know, I come from this old era of racing where, it It was a massive party scene, and it, it was wild. I mean, you know now it's there's not many people at the after party. it's uh kind of quiet after the race and it's very professional where the area where I came from it was completely opposite. It was like you try and do professional as you can up to the race, and then after the race you just blow out and release your steam so that's kind of a uh that that is a difference between the generations, so I think as I'm calming down it's uh You'll see the generation gap close, but um, yeah, I don't, I don't know what they'd say. It'd be pretty interesting. We should get them on Wolfie's talk. Yeah, get them? Say, very good.
0: What would you say, a young racer, when somebody comes up from South Africa and said, "Hey, Greg, I want to be the, the the next Greg Minard." What's the tip you want to give him uh, if he wants to get into downhill racing?
1: Uh, it's pretty tough for South Africans to get into it. Um, we're limited on on, on downhill tracks. And just, you know, Donald bikes generally are expensive, but you can, you can imagine when your, your currency is 20 rand to the dollar. It's, it's, it makes it a lot tougher. Um, But we've got some great guys coming through. The the hardest thing is, is trying to separate having a good time to racing. Um, And, and that's, that's really tough to do. You know, you want to, you want to absorb as much as you can when you travel and you want to go into Europe and all these great riding tracks. But when you get to a racetrack, you've actually got to switch over to to race mode. And that's um, trying to conserve as much energy as possible the week prior, um, training carefully and, and 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 just looking after yourself where, you know, you got young guns coming through and, and wanting to get to a World Cup race. They're they riding all these trails like all week. They get to the start of practice tired and it's just you know it's really hard to separate just having a good time to to racing mm-hmm. and that's something i'd probably give it as advice
0: mm-hmm. but the big teams obviously help but you need a certain success to be to be accepted in such a team but yeah that's that stuff i think all the beginning is hard when you start a business when you start a career that's just a, a tough school to go through yeah but it's that's hard yeah
1: it is hard and it's very similar to business in a way you know mm-hmm. all your friends are having fun on weekends and you're in the, you're in the business working away so um, and and that's it's a hard one, you know. We ride bikes because it's fun, and then you race bikes professionally because it's also fun. So where's the fun in racing or, or riding? So uh, that separation is it's it's a super fine line, but it's really important. Mm-hmm.
0: I want to take you back to two thousand thirteen and, and and we just uh, just learned from you that just this this place we're going back to now is just behind your um, behind yourself, and we see it so yeah. I want to ask will to start the next clip and uh, we just watch the clip and then we speak about it Perfect This is amazing. you know what I mean? i watched this clip i don't know four or five times in the last one or two days, but it it really puts a big smile on my face and. Um, But I think, obviously, it must be a dream come true uh, to win on home soil a world championship title. But as well, the the immense pressure. I can't believe how much pressure you must have had.
1: Yeah, and I think, you know, you asked me earlier which was my favorite race to win or something about. And I said Fort William, and it really was. Where this race was just a bundle of pressure. I mean, I live literally uh, a kilometer and a half from the race. It's super close. It is my home soil. And and everyone was expecting me to win. And and that was just, you know, it was more relief than just having a great race. You know, I, it, it was tough, but very memorable. Um, it's it's not often that an athlete gets to compete at home and literally on their doorstep. And so to have that, I'm very grateful. And to have won it was super grateful. Um, but was it as much fun as winning in Fort William? I don't think it was. Because mm-hmm. just that pressure was so intense. mm
0: I read in one interview, said I had no plan B, there was no plan B. And I thought that was actually a, a very strong thing to say because sometimes in life, you have these situations where you know, listen, uh, maybe I can do what's, what, what I can, it's good enough, but that's maybe on this day, it's not good enough. I need to do it. There's no, no chance and no plan B in, in, in there. So, uh, yeah, quite an amazing, then pulling it off, obviously it was amazing. Yeah, fantastic.
1: Well, it's true, there was no plan B. I mean, I know you've traveled to Peter Marisburg. And uh, these local guys just would not accept second place. Mm -hmm. You know, to them, I'd raced all around the world. I'd won in in many different countries. So why can't you win at home? I mean, surely you know the track more than anyone else, which I hadn't. You know, I'd been uh, in Europe till one week before the race and I'd come home like everyone else and had the same time on the track. Of course, I know the forest. Uh, I've grown up here riding in it, but the, the track is completely different. So... Uh, you only know the track as much as everyone else, and uh, yeah, so it, it just makes it really tough. And, but to the locals, it was, well, if you live here, you must be quicker. You know the track more than everyone, mm-hmm. and you're going to win it. So I'm glad I did.
0: When you go out your training route, and, and you found yourself on that trail again going down, you remember? Is it is it almost like a flashback uh, when you come around these corners?
1: It does a bit, and funny enough, this morning we were riding in the forest, and one of the guys, we stopped... Just above that rock drop, yeah. and one of the guys said, Oh, in, in the world champs, I landed on the flat, and I couldn't actually remember. And I was just thinking about it, going, Wow, man! So, watching the video, yes, I did land pretty flat on, on the drop. So, yeah, it's funny, you know. Um, I think at times when I see a really strong sunset, that that day it was, you know, where it was in uh in um spring coming into spring, and uh. The the sunset was incredible. Standing on the podium, and I remember just looking up into the forest and just seeing the sunset, and and just thinking, wow, this is incredible. Listening to the national anthem play in the background. So, yeah, whenever I see a really strong sunset over that forest, that uh, yeah, it still brings back some really strong memories.
0: Fantastic. You know, I mean, listening to the national anthem when you are somewhere on a podium. This is one on my bucket list. I don't think I will make it unless I make my own event <laughs> and I make something. Else. I think that must be unbelievable. Uh, to to wear the the national colours and then winning something, in the World Cup, and you had this three times. So, yeah,
1: fantastic, well done for you. Yeah,
0: is there a street named after you or a place in Pittsburgh? Is there a Greg Minard Street?
1: There's not, no. But I do believe in Fort William. There is a Minar Street, and it has been proposed to council, and it apparently is going to be made. I'm not sure if it was true or rumour, but that I heard in Fort William.
0: Very fantastic.
1: I want to speak yeah. a little
0: bit about bike setup. Um, and, and how particular you are about this. And I have some technical questions from the from the guys. So you've been obviously around for 20 years or more than 20 years in the sport. What do you think was the biggest invention
1: and what changed the sport in the biggest way? I, I think wheels, the wheel size definitely changed the way we think about bikes. And yeah. not necessarily because the wheel's bigger, we need to get a bigger wheel, but it also stretched the bikes out. And uh I felt like if you're trying to fit in a 29 inch wheel into a dual suspension mountain bike, you've got to increase the wheelbase. Mm -hmm. And same when you went from 26 to 27. So the bikes have increased in stability, not necessarily because the wheels are bigger, but because the wheelbase has grown. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that wheelbase um, growth has probably been the greatest thing we've had. It's Mm -hmm. it's made us sit more centered in the bikes. Um, It's allowed us to get the suspension to work better and the bikes just fit a lot better nowadays than they did.
0: Mm-hmm. and you're a tall person so i think it it's, it was obviously a nice development for you because obviously your center of gravity being so tall on a 26 inch bike now to 29 i think you have long legs so it makes the clearance on your on your on your bum a little bit better when you have a bigger wheel in your in your bike i think it obviously was a development of the industry uh, which worked quite nicely in your favor
1: yeah i think so i think it's 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 easier for someone taller to to really push the boundaries on on the growth of wheelbase you know if you uh, a medium height person, you normally ride in a medium and you jump to a large, uh, the industry is not really going to look at you in any significance and go, wow, you know, that's like a, a tall person riding an XL. They actually need a double XL. Mm-hmm. You know, XL was the limit. Mm-hmm. So now when you push in the size of XL, then the industry starts to realize, wow, you actually, you know, most guys who are, who are, should be riding a medium are now riding a large. We need to grow the extra large to double XL or, we name the double XL, the XL.
0: Mm-hmm. Just changing things around. Yeah, very good. As well, I think you're quite particular when it comes to your setup for, for the bike. So how particular are you? Do you have an example where you say, listen, okay, I, I really, I'm, I'm down to the millimeter, or I'm, I'm really, uh, I measure my bike and I need my brake exactly at that point, or how detailed are you when it comes to
1: detail? Yeah, I, I'm pretty detailed and and not far off. Uh, down to one and a half millimeters for sure. I mm-hmm. can feel, that. I mean, we, we move the forks we pull the forks through the crowns depending on what track and, you know, I can feel down to to a millimeter and a half for sure. Mm -hmm.
0: Very good. And, and I want to do get
1: tested. I've got a crazy mechanic who loves testing it. So we we pretty, we pretty accurate. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Very
0: good. So Jason said actually about you that uh, he said he's a pretty handsome guy and he shouldn't ride the mullet. I think he has a quiff. (laughs) He did say that. Yes do Did you try the the mullet setup? What do
1: you think or you run at the moment twenty nine twenty nine i run twenty nine twenty nine you know my whole approach to the mullet hasn't really i haven't felt like it's been on organic growth or, or growth from the industry i felt the mullet came about by a rider who was disappointed that Santa Cruz had released a twenty nine inch bike. He ran his mouth off saying how bad twenty nine inch was, so he couldn't actually ride a twenty nine inch bike and when he finally did. He had a big, strong pushback against riding a full 29, and then that was their way to deviate things to a mullet and try and gain as much as they could from the 29, but just be a little bit different to save a bit of face. To me, that's not really a strong industry push going, wow, it's really better for the industry. Let's push that way. So understand where Loris has gone. Loris is being tested and he's tried the mullet and he feels he doesn't have enough butt clearance on the 29. Mm-hmm. So to me, that's really a strong push for um, an organic movement towards something that's actually beneficial in the industry. It's not just a marketing craze because someone's said they don't like something, but they actually need to go that way. Um, this is a real problem. So he finds that he's got less clearance, so he's gone to a mullet. So that to mm-hmm. me is really understandable and a more natural push in, in that direction. Mm-hmm.
0: Interesting. Yeah, that's very good. In 2002, um, Nicolas Vio retired, and then you said, I want his coach. This was yes. your, your dream. And since, I think since 2002, you're together with Stefan uh, Girard. Yes, yes. Is your coach.
1: And I'm still working with Stefan today. Okay, very good. Fantastic. And, and yeah, I just thought, you know, he was such a great coach for Nico. I mean, they won so many titles, and, and Stefan's been very instrumental in, in all of Nico and Ankara's racing and Olympics and everything else. You know, as soon as the opportunity came, I thought it was great to, to go for it. So I started with the 2003. It was my first year with, with Stefan.
0: Mm-hmm. And what has changed in the approach from your side and from the coaching side um, over, over the last years you have been working with them?
1: We, we change a lot. You know, we assess everything. I'm, I'm very... Um, I critique myself a lot. And I go through my season going, well, I felt like I might've had too much fitness, but not enough power. Mm-hmm. I felt like I lacked a bit of upper body strength or this and that, or felt mm-hmm. this and, and we go through everything. And then we, we structure the program to, to, um, fixing all these, um, uh, these weaknesses and making sure that they're not, they've gone into the next season. Um, I find that I'll always have a weakness. And if you don't, then it's probably a good time to retire because, You know, unless you're just on this winning streak, season after season after season. um, Until that happens, then maybe I need to keep adjusting until I get the right formula. So um, I always find that uh, at the end of the season, I go through everything. Go through my bike, figure out what I need to do, go into the next season, and I do the same with my body.
0: Mm -hmm. It's interesting. I had the pleasure to meet some of the Formula One riders uh, while they were here in in Abu Dhabi for the the, uh, Grand Prix. And okay. uh, met some of the coaches as well because some of the riders were into cycling. And it was quite interesting to see how they mixed up the training in terms of football. And I know that uh, Nico Rosberg had to go in the pool and, and dive and make math questions underwater. So to make these quick decisions uh, under pressure, under pressure of having no air. And obviously you you have no air when you're pedaling hard and making these turns and twists and everything like this and making quick decisions. But I think it was quite interesting to see what kind of training they did. Uh, they they got for, for all these uh, unbelievable quick reactions they have to have, and I think it's very similar to what you are
1: doing. Well, I, I think so. I'm not doing maths underwater, but um, it's uh, I, maybe our our version of training is slightly simpler. But that that's that's an impressive routine to go through.
0: Yes, and they did as well to play football before the before the race, just to to put their mind off or to just ease off and and. Yeah. in between training and stuff. So it was, it was quite interesting to see that, yeah. Um, you spoke about partying, and obviously that's that's as well something that the boys were so excited. So I, I wrote down, obviously there's a lot of rumors about things, parties happen. So what's the craziest rumor you've heard about your parties, which is actually not true?
1: Oh, there's plenty of those. No, oh, there's a lot. Everything gets exaggerated. I'll stick to that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and, and what's the story people think is a rumor? and it's an actually it's a fact. Is there something you can you can share? Is there,
1: is there something that you've heard that, that you want to ask me rather?
0: I heard that you borrowed once a motorbike from a guy in Sabi, and then you wheeled it up and down the road and finally ended up in the bar, parking it in the middle of the dance floor. Is there some, some truth in it or not?
1: Oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds a good one though. <laughs> it, it, it wouldn't surprise me, but I don't recall that one.
0: But you you remember that, or you see that it's changed a bit. So you said years back it was more that it was, it was more of a party scene uh, and maybe with Steve Pete and, and all these guys. And now it, it has become a bit more serious. So the young generation is not partying as much anymore?
1: Yeah, I think so. I think the sports got a lot more serious. You know, it's um, right now it's in a great place with, with Red Bull Media and, and the TV coverage and the teams, there's a lot more teams out there. Uh, it's really more professional and, and the time's are a lot tighter so, you know, everyone's got to neaten up their act on every kind of level you know, I think mm-hmm. back then the times gaps were bigger so you had the opportunity to have a bit of fun after the race if you're racing the next weekend where now that, you know, if you race in the following weekend, you need to be, be on your game soon after mm-hmm. I had a question from Dan, so
0: because he's British and he's a big fan as well of Steve Keith so who could drink more BSD Steve for you?
1: Uh, Steve would probably drink more. He's, he's very well trained. Uh, uh, yeah, he, he's definitely got a higher tolerance. Thank
0: you. Um, your dad opened the shop and it was two wheel in. And now yes. it's named Greg Minar cycle. So are you actively working in the store when you're off season? People come to see you. They want to get the bike set up. They want to get a signature on their Santa Cruz
1: bike. Uh, I, I'm pretty active in the shop, but more on the back end. Uh, it's very hard for me to be in the store and, and keep it consistent for the clients as well. So I do hang out there a lot when I am at home, um, but I don't know how to work the till for the very reason that I don't want people to rely that it, I, they can come and hang out and I can serve them or help them out because I, you know then I'm not there, then it kind of cuts yes. the vibe a little bit. So um, I, I do hang out. We've got a little coffee shop there and yes. uh, I spent some time there. And uh but I'm more involved on the back end of the shop than than you know selling selling bikes and
0: very nice. But I've bikes. seen some I do, I do
1: help a hand, you know, I do alleviate the staff when you know we short staffed, I do jump in and help, but I think uh sometimes a more hassle than than help.
0: Very good. No, but it's a beautiful shop. I've seen some pictures uh, of it so, so very nice. Thank
1: you. Thank you. Um
0: do you have a funny or strange habit?
1: I possibly do um where is this going no 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 no, no, no just
0: just a few <laughs> questions we ask people if they have something and it, it leads actually to something um uh, do you have a party trick so when you're sitting around or you do something you have you have something which you can show us
1: something you can uh, pull off I and, uh, no i don't no not, not that i know of no i wish i did maybe <laughs> this is something i need to work on in this, oh, office, this a party trick
0: i have a party trick i don't know if you can see
1: it Oh yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah no, I've never tried doing that. <laughs>
0: That's how I I got my wife. Uh, what,
1: what's the best party trick you've seen?
0: Um, I think mine is pretty good. <laughs> <No>. Yeah, <laughs> I, we've seen we've seen that somebody could make a chicken out of a um um what do you say a napkin. Somebody could make fold a chicken out of a napkin, which I thought was quite impressive. Is that a party trick? I think you sit on a table and then obviously, it, he said when the, when the party starts and it's all set around and, and everybody's a little stiff and he takes his takes napkin and he folds it under yeah. the table and then he pulls up a chicken and, and that kind of eases in. into
1: well, the- I did think I had a party trick and it, it was about five years ago, six years ago. Uh, I have this group of friends that come and ride motorbikes for the weekend and um, we were drinking in this pub and. I had all these bottles on top of this this bar table and I ripped the tablecloth out and all these bottles just stayed there. And I was like, this is impressive. I've really got a talent. So we put more bottles on and more glasses, and then I pulled the tablecloth off and it was perfect, nothing moved. So then I was like, well, we've got to keep going at this. So we put more glasses and a bar stool and something else. <laughs> I pulled the cloth and it was perfect, nothing moved. So I was like, we must have had a bit to drink so i said to a friend of mine why don't you stand on the table and then i'll pull the, sh- the glass from underneath you and i did and uh, he went down and so did the table and uh, it was a mess so uh, party trick didn't work
0: i thought you had it three times yeah like just world championships yeah
1: yeah very good Fourth okay. time didn't work out good I
0: like that is there something on your bucket list you you still want to achieve
1: I think on my bucket list, I need to add Dubai because I've never come in and checked it out.
0: Okay, okay, that would be great. Yeah, and, and please. I think that's got to
1: be can, one of, of them.
0: If we can be of help in any uh, sort of way, uh, it would be really fantastic to see you.
1: So I think, you know, I, I've never really had a bucket list, but I try and make lists and, and go along, and, and I'm a little bit more spontaneous. So something like this, I would say, let's, let's create a bucket list and, and make a mountain bike ride in Dubai. Very good. Let, let's do this. This is really
0: cool. And I'm sure Santa Cruz, yeah. we're we are the Santa Cruz partner for the region. So that would be absolutely absolutely if we, if we have you here.
1: Yeah, I think we should do that. Very, very so instead great. of make, you know, I think we should create a battle list rather than adding things to one.
0: Very good. If you, if you had a time machine uh, and you could go forward or you could go yeah. backwards, which direction would you like to go? I'd probably go backwards. Backwards, just to 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 change some things, or to see, or do it again,
1: or just to do it again. Just to do it again. Maybe, maybe adjust things slightly. Okay. I've had yeah. We were talking about some some stories that it, whether they're true or false. I don't know if you heard the story about my Santa Cruz Art tower. No, please. So we went to go watch um, Crankworks in in Liger in yes. France and we are staying in the town below in Morsi. So I said to my friends, you know, we're going to have a few drinks watching this. Let's ride our bikes, we'll catch a lift up and we'll ride them back down and it'll be great. We don't want to drink and drive and, and be responsible. So we end up having a few drinks and get um, carries on a bit into the night. And so I decided I'm going to go to my mechanic, Marshy's house, his house is on the way home. Anyway, I, I get completely lost. I'm at the top of this mountain, on the cliffs, and I just don't know where to go. It's it's now quite early in the morning, so I'm phoning Marsha, Masha, you got to come help me. I I don't know where I am. So he comes and picks me up. I've still got my helmet on, and I'm walking with my shoes in my hand. And uh, somewhere along the line, he asks, where's your bike? So I said, oh, I must have left it at the pub. So the next day, I go look at the pub. My bike's not there. And so I go up with a friend, and we try and fly a drone looking for my bike. So somewhere in the French Alps, I lost uh brand new heart hour wow okay. so that is true if you heard that that's a true story <laughs> i, I do believe someone has found it there was some guys talking the pub in Morzine saying that that apparently when the word had come out about this lost bike the whole of Morzine went into the mountains looking for it and someone Certainly has found great. it but uh, i haven't seen it yet so i'm still looking
0: very good that's a good story i like it thank you um, <laughs> I have a few sentences i prepared and i just want you to finish them for me okay um, sure.
1: a perfect day is starting with the surf and finishing with the mountain bike ride
0: nice
1: i'm looking forward to the world cup season
0: to start off again here yeah, that's true yeah yeah i can ride my bike faster then
1: uh, your sister now? I can. I'm just trying to think of someone that I really want to be faster than. Let's say Laurence Vergier. Very good. Keep things hot. Um, it's too early to decide who's going to win the World Cup this year.
0: Good.
1: I really love when things go my way. Good. good.
0: Okay now I have a few quick questions and I give you two options on Again. your bra. on your braille, is there jobs or worst Jobs. are you afraid of heights yes okay <laughs> yeah. how is this possible you know I mean you jumping over over I don't know so many cars and stuff and and when does it start when you have fear of heights i i'm i have fear of
1: heights yeah i, I... I don't know when it started, but I can't like, I've tried to walk across Golden gate bridge. I can't walk across it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've ridden my bike across. No problem. I know that's a bit weird. Okay. Um, in an airplane from takeoff to landing, I absolutely do shit myself the whole time. I had palms get all sweaty and mm-hmm. uh, yeah. So um, for someone who spends like 130,000 miles in the air a year, yes. it's, uh, it's a little bit of stress. Do you have tattoos? Do I have to what?
0: Tat- tattoos? Okay, I'm, I have to work on my. No. I have to my... I think you said, do I have
1: tools? Tattoos? No, no, ta- no tattoos. No tattoos.
0: You, do you shave your legs? Sometimes. Sometimes. Who is the greatest cyclist of all times?
1: Oh, Greg LeMond. Greg LeMond, okay, very good.
0: Who is the biggest upcoming talent in downhill cycling?
1: you. Upcoming talent. There's, there's quite a few, there's quite a few up and coming. It would be very, uh, I would definitely put I class and half South African kid in there. He's okay. definitely up and coming. Um, I think there's a lot, it would be hard for me to name him. There's too many.
0: Okay, which is a nice thing to see and say. Uh, because obviously then then the sport is growing and that's that's
1: great you use clip-ins or flats i use both so like today when i'm just playing and riding with my friends i use flat pedals when i race i I race clipped in -hmm.
0: if you write a book about your career what is going to be the title of that book
1: that's why i haven't written one because i haven't come up with a good title yet
0: (laughs) yeah the title is it, it seems to be challenging and then uh then the rest, the rest would come.
1: Yeah. Well, what, what, what would you call it?
0: Uh, I'm no, sure, no. Yes, um, Fifty Shades of Wolfie, maybe. Yeah, in the in the desert.
1: <laughs> yeah, that could work. Yes. Um, you have Fifty fav- Shades of Greg. There we go. Yeah,
0: Fifty Shades of Greg. Yeah, I think that's a top seller. <laughs> you have a favorite quote. You live by or you you just feel inspiration? You know, I really
1: like a quote by uh, Mark Cuban, um, you know, from um, Shark Tank. Yes. And uh, Mark Cuban, um, in a quote, said that, I think it was his father said said to him, "Um, today's the youngest you're ever going to be, so so live it. Mm -hmm. I think that's quite important because we do get carried away trying to um, live life ahead of the age we actually are.
0: Mm -hmm. I like that, yeah, very good What are you grateful for?
1: Everything Absolutely everything You know, I think it's uh, Right now we're going through a tough time You know, Mm -hmm. worldwide And not Mm -hmm. just in in certain areas I think, you know um, And just to be able to do What we do and be able to Be on on Zoom, chatting to you guys I think we'll be grateful for a lot
0: Mm -hmm. Thank you If you go to a karaoke bar, what song are you going to perform?
1: If I go to a karaoke bar and I perform a song, I've really drank too much to get (laughs) time to go home. Come on, you lost the bike. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a terrible singer. And uh, so if I am singing, I probably should have gone home.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um, If you choose holidays, it's in mountains or a beach? Beach. Any of you wear speedos or shorts shorts <laughs> was there a movie lately you watched and enjoyed a lot
1: um there was one the one that stands out the most is uh whiplash okay and uh it's not a recent movie but it's it's the second time i've watched it so that's the um the one that comes to mind i don't i don't uh yeah i would say that whiplash I have to look it up. And you have popcorn with it, sweet or salty? Salty.
0: Salty popcorn.
1: With a Coke. Gotta have a Coke with popcorn. Good.
0: My guys agree.
1: <laughs> um, if you had a day and you
0: could spend with a person dead or alive, who would that be?
1: Would they be alive or would they still be dead?
0: No, no, they, they can anyone. You could choose anyone. You yeah, said, I, I want to stand, I spend a day with this person. Okay. Um...
1: Let's see, uh, I haven't really thought of that. There's not someone that I've like been stand out that I really would spend time with. Let's go with, um, uh, Elvis. I think that would have been an experience. Elvis. Yeah. Yeah. Considering he had to fly to Vegas to get a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, you know, this guy knew how to live life or to just blow Mm -hmm. a lot of money. So I think that would have been exciting. Very good. Fantastic.
0: Uh, And what lessons cycling has told you about everyday life?
1: Um, Just to enjoy what you can, really. Um, I think the biggest thing that's happened with this pandemic going around is when you can't do what you love so much. Mm -hmm. I think that's a really important lesson, you know. You know, and I don't think it's only me that's noticing it. You know, I normally ride in this forest. I never bump into anyone else riding. Um, Now we've just come out of lockdown of having. Uh, five weeks of complete lockdown, not being able to leave the house, and now we 're allowed three hours to to ride or run in the morning and that forest is just flooded with people, yes. so I think we're realizing that um, we 've got to just slow down life a little bit and enjoy what we have around us
0: okay that 's nice yeah we, we see similar in Dubai that obviously people now uh, appreciate this more, and, and I think oh, hopefully your 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 bike shop and your dad 's bike shop is is busy and uh, you get lots of lots of customers there and it's nice to see that people really appreciate it and i think it's it's nice to be in the sport um which which we both love so much uh, to get people out there that's true very true thank you thank you uh, greg i think it was just an amazing hour and we're over an hour already and i don't want to take too much of your oh, time well. i want to be respectful about that and but please It would be an absolutely honor. And I think my guys are already planning parties and planning karaoke and planning a (laughs) bike trip. I think that's already in motion as as far as I'm concerned, but um, these flight to Europe and and you make a stopover in Dubai, Uh, that would be amazing. And um, thank you for your time. And I think you're really an absolute legend. Uh, And I really appreciate the time.
1: Thank you, Wolfie. Thanks a lot for having me on the show and, and to your whole team for putting it all together. And I definitely think we need to make this uh, bucket list happen.
0: Fantastic. Thank you so much. Uh, Thank you. Have... have a good Thank you. Thank you very much. Next Friday, we have um, um, as well another famous cyclist who was four times in the Giro Italia, 12 times in the Tour de France. He was winning against Belvedere, uh, and he was the right hand of um, Mark Cavendish. So it's Bernie Eisel on the show for next Friday. So if you're watching, if you enjoyed this one, please join us for the next week as well. Greg, I thank you so much. Yeah, it was it was a great thanks lecture.
1: again. Thank you. Very good. Have a good time. Thank you. Bye bye.